Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast, where we launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. Billy Graham once said that the next great move of God, he believed, would be among Christians in the marketplace. We believe that too. We want to be a part of it, and we want to help equip and inspire you to do the same. So please follow us on socials at Expert Ownership. If you haven't been to our website yet, check it out, expertownership.com. But we are excited about what God is going to speak through us to you today. Here we go. Welcome back to Expert Ownership. We're kicking it off today with the number one thing you have to do as a business owner if you want to stay in business. Get in the gym. Stay in shape. Get in the gym. Eat right. Have a good marriage. Don't do drugs. Those are all great, great answers. Thank you. Wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> what is it then? Number one thing, sales. Uh, okay, yeah, you, I can see that. If you aren't selling anything and making money, you actually don't have a business. You just have a hobby. Mm. There you go. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you know, it's so profound. Let's talk about this. Best salespeople you've ever met. Anybody come to mind immediately? Mm. Um, not in, in particular, but the best salespeople are those who didn't try to sell me anything. Yeah, At least that's, that's the way I felt. That's a, that's a good point. Or I remember a quote, everyone loves to buy, but no one wants to be sold. Like I, I go to the car dealership on the weekends. If I, you know, I remember needing a car for my wife and I would go on a Sunday because I never wanted to be sold. I didn't want any salespeople. But the problem is, is when I found a car I wanted, I could not find a salesman fast enough. Wait, nobody shows up on a Sunday at a car dealership? The car dealership I looked at last time I bought my wife's car was closed. Was that back in 1940? No, it was closed, dude. He bought it. Yeah. No, there's some dealerships around Charlotte. He was looking at Model so wait, T's. Let, let's just talk about this real quick. You went to the dealership. Nobody was there. You jumped the fence. I didn't jump the fence. You, there was no fence. It was like uh, those little poles. You can walk right through them. Did you check the door so you could sit in them, see if they're open? Or? I actually did, yes. I would have done it too. But see, that's the thing is I did not want to be sold. But as soon as I found something to buy, I wanted to buy. I wanted a salesman. In other words, you're not positioning yourself to sell anything. You're positioning the customer to buy what they need and what they want. You know what Eric Beck says about sales? Okay. What's that? Well, first of all, we probably need to set up who is Eric Beck. Okay, go ahead. I had some people listening today and they don't don't know the name Eric Beck. He's like the Yoda of business, of business coaching. In fact, he's a part of our expert owner network of experts. He is our first certified expert ownership master coach. He's good. And he knows way more about business than we've ever. Yeah, because he's consulted over 900 business owners with E-Myth. He helped build the global training platform for Michael Gerber. Hey, can I? I Now we got him. Hey, can I throw this out real quick? We do have on expert ownership. We do this on a quarterly basis where we do a small group expert ownership multiplier program group coaching experience with eric beck we're going through our first one right now all of us are on it as clients (laughs) even though it's our platform and it's blowing my hair back i'm i'm absolutely loving it so pay attention because you never know when we're going to release another one but you will know it on expertownership.com eric beck has this magical ability you listen to him talk and you walk away feeling like i don't know anything but i feel really good about myself all of a sudden <laughs> because i have him I have okay so guy. how's this relate to sales is that eric what you're beck, talking about yes eric beck says sales is the transference of passion oh that's ooh. good yeah you that's know michael good. pink says that too both of them say it, it i be. think beck got it from pink i bet you that's right you know what i think Who beck, knows? beck got it from pink but either way it makes sense transference of passion. My dad used to say a quote when we were kids, because he was a pastor, and he would say, boys, do you know the key to the great orator? And we said, no, sir. 
And he goes, the key to a great orator is the one who's in love with their message. So think about that. If you're selling and you're passionate about what you sell and you transfer that passion, there it is. You're actually not selling anything. You're just giving people what they need and you're removing the obstacles that stand in the way of them getting what they need. I'll give you a quick story. You got two, two minutes. Okay, so David and I, we had just started our real estate company. And at this point, we weren't making much money. Everybody that's ever started a business knows that you don't make much money at the beginning. And so we were looking for odd jobs. This guy from the Chamber of Commerce met us and he said, hey guys, I've got this new technology that can help like heal your back. People have all this back pains. It was this little contraption where you would take out these little... What was it, David? Where you connected it to your back? A TENS unit or something? Like a TENS. Like a TENS unit. Where you stick it on the Where it puts like the electronic shock waves into your back. And you press this little button, and then it increases the level of shockwave that it puts in your back. This is like 20 years ago. Okay? It's like a dog collar. Yeah. It's like a shock collar for a dog is basically <laughs> but it, what it is for It's your supposed back. to do wonders for your back. And so he said, there's this conference, and I want you and your brother to come sell them for me, and I'll just give you a commission of, you know, you'll make like half of whatever you bring in. And we're like, okay, this is great. He said, you guys are great with people. You're good to be around. You're funny. You connect well with people. Y'all are going to be naturals. And I got there, and after trying to sell it to the first person or two, and they asked me more questions than I could answer, and I honestly went there just for the money. I didn't go there for trying to help people with their backs. You didn't believe in it. I didn't believe in it at all. After the second person was like, oh, okay, well, you know what, maybe later, I literally felt so exhausted. (laughs) I mean, I felt so exhausted. I went over into a corner, and I found a chair, and I just sat down. (laughs) I watched David continue to try to sell it. He was literally talking with people as they'd walk by. He's like, hey, is your back hurt? Has your back ever hurt? Do you know anybody whose back hurts? Come here. Let me sell this thing I was giving my best while you quit. But it did show me something. I didn't really care about it. I wasn't passionate about it. And therefore, I lost my energy to sell it. So sales connected to passion, man, that's that's a big key. Yeah, it's big. And I think of the three of us, David is probably the most natural salesperson. I'm guessing some of it is because you just naturally come with big energy, big yeah, passion. Yeah, it just depends on what it is. But, you know, I, I believe in expert ownership. I believe in, you know, the webinar we did a while back, Bulletproof Business. Oh my gosh, I was coming through the screen. I was so excited about it because people really need opportunities to make income and make their income bulletproof. We need and, to talk about Bulletproof Business in a future yeah, episode. We'll yeah, do no, it. We we'll will. But still, we did this and man, I absolutely loved it. And that's why sales were off the charts. No, that's big. So I've had several sales jobs in the past. Almost all of them have been good, exciting, but a little bit draining to me. So what you just described, Jason, I think this is good for the people who are listening today to, to make a mental note. The things that you do, especially as you're gauging your energy levels, that drain you of life are probably not things that you're naturally inclined right. or, or uh, intended to do. When we find the things that we're built for, we're wired for, it's our DNA, I think we do at about 50% the the energy that the average person takes 100% of the energy to do. Mm. So from a sales standpoint, I'm guessing, Jason, probably don't want to spend your future in sales. No, no, not at all. But I did learn something very valuable. What's and, that? and this is why we talked about branding on the podcast long ago. The best brands don't just give people what their external desire is. They really meet people's internal desires. What is it that they really need? David and I got an opportunity to see what this looked like. Again, this was at the beginning of our business. This is probably a year after I had my epic failure of trying to sell that back device and had lost all my energy. And I was up praying one morning and I said, Lord, we really need to land this particular client. And David and I had been praying about this client for a while. 
And I thought, wow, I, you know, I've tried to call, I've sent emails, haven't got anything back. Lord, you've got to do something. We need a breakthrough. And as I'm praying, I felt like the Lord reminded me, you know, if you do get an opportunity to talk to this this particular client, whoever it is, minister to the person. Like, find out about their kids and their kids' names and their if they got a dog or what football team they like or whatever. And so I'm sitting there thinking of that. And he and as I'm spending this time with the Lord, it's as if He was washing over me. If you care about the person as a person, the prophet will follow that. Don't even worry about that aspect. And so couple days later, we actually got the call back from this particular client. And I remember taking the call and David and I were both working in this tiny little office and I jumped up and David knew that it was her. I forget her name, but she called Sue. Sue, Sue was her name. And I remember getting on the phone and she said, Jason, this is Sue with, you know, I forget the bank, Acme Bank or whatever it is. And I said, oh, well, Sue, thank you for calling me back. She's like, well, you know, I've I got your voicemails. <laughs> mm-hmm. I got your emails. You know, my only hesitation is I know you don't have much experience as a real estate broker that can handle bank-owned properties. So let me ask you this. Why should I hire you? And it was just like right out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh. But you know what I said? I said, you know, if you're looking for the most experienced person and the most experienced people on your team, then, then you're going to need to go find somebody else. But if you're looking for two young guys who are hungrier than any agents that you've ever met and will stop at nothing to make your job easy and to get you promoted, then I strongly suggest you hire my brother and I. And that's all I said. And she went, oh, just like that. Transference of passion. There now, it is. but see, here's the key. She didn't hire me right there on the spot. She said, well, thank you for that. Okay, so we'll, we'll get back with you. And she really didn't let on, but I knew, I was like, I think I connected. <laughs> yeah, that one hit on the sweet spot. I think I connected. But what happened in that moment was I legitimately did feel, because this was born out of prayer, I legitimately did feel like I would love to see her get promoted if she works with us. I would love to remove her headache from her. Like that would do nothing but make me feel incredible. Now I know what comes as a result of that. We get business. Well, a couple of days later, she emailed an application and said, "You guys are hired. You had me when we talked on the phone. You're fully hired. Let's just fill out this application and we're going to start moving." And that client over the next, I think it was 15 and, years. Yeah, yeah 15. Uh, years. We're talking big, big Mill- millions, millions and millions of dollars. And it wasn't me trying to sell anything. It was connecting with that internal desire that she had and transferring my passion to her. And it worked, and it all was born out of prayer. (laughs) So, David, what would you say then on the biblical side? Biblical principles that you've applied to sales, and you feel like it's not really a sales principle. It's a life principle, but it works in sales. Yeah, sure. It would just be faithful in the little things. I mean, obviously, you're always doing the little things because it's the little things that'll come back and bite you in the butt. I mean, we know this in every area of our business, especially when you're talking about cash flow and money management. But with sales as well, you have to be faithful in the little things. Sometimes you're your sales people, or if you don't have employees and you're doing the selling yourself, you can promise pie in the sky. And I know we've always heard under promise, over deliver. I say, don't over promise. You just make promises and you do exactly what you said and then some. And so you just got to be faithful in the little things. That is such a simple principle. Produce more in value than you take in pay. You know, I mean, that's that's one right there. That makes it so easy on sales because now all of a sudden people know, oh, they're giving more in value than what I'm actually giving them. That just creates, you know, a contagious culture and it makes it super easy on your sales. So little things like that. Now, John Maxwell said a quote, and it, it all stems out of the Bible, but it's not necessarily a Bible verse. John right. Maxwell talked about, he said, 
when you are a salesperson, you can either engage in manipulation or motivation. And he said, manipulation is when you're doing something or when you're selling something for my benefit. Motivation is when you're selling something for mutual benefit. And I thought that's great. I like that. Manipulation and motivation. Manipulation is my benefit. Motivation is mutual benefit. In other words, get them motivated. You can easily get them motivated when there's mutual benefit, but you really focus on their benefit before yours. Yeah, I think it's big because people generally don't go into the relational side of actually selling with any sort of priority, meaning they approach it and they think this transaction is going to either get me paid or it's going to help me move up or it's going to help me escalate. There's a great scripture in Proverbs 18.2. It says, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing their opinions. Mm. Wow. This is the interesting part of the way that sales has changed over the last, let's just say 30 years. So there was a book that I, that I read probably 20 years ago called Spin Selling. It's by a guy named Neil Rackham. Did you ever read this book? No, No, but I've heard about it. Okay, so it was good, and it basically took the pyramid, the traditional sales pyramid, and flipped it on its head. The old sales pyramid was kind of the car salesman approach. Let's just start with one question, and we'll pressure you and pressure you and pressure you and pressure you, and basically we're going to like come really strong and try to close the deal. Spin Selling was the exact opposite. It was an acronym, and I'm not necessarily saying this is the best way that that salespeople can operate, but it's certainly a way that takes a much more relational approach and it puts you, the mutual benefit, in the middle of the process. So SPIN is an acronym and says S is the situation, P is the problem, I is the implication of that problem, and N would be what's the the needs payoff, which is kind of a weak acronym when you make that N needs payoff. Yeah. But anyways, if you look at that, you say, I'm talking to you, David or Jason, I'm saying, what's the situation at hand right here? Well, I'm running a business and trying to figure out how to be more successful, how to generate more revenue, how to reach more people. Great. Well, what's the problem? I can't get any new people to pay any attention. Well, what's the implication of that? If I don't get new people to come into the business and pay attention yeah. and start selling them products that we think are going to be helpful. I'm out of business. I'm out of business. So what's the needs payoff? Well, let's figure out how to get you some new customers so you can actually get them in the door. They can start buying. You got a business. So that relational approach to me is everything in sales. And it's the yeah. way that we have historically tried to do business where if we're in and pitching, let's say on a, a new prospective client, I love having the conversation with the client where we say, let's just talk. And if we can talk through this and you understand what the path forward is, that's step one. If step two is you think I should be the person to help you walk down that path, that's great. We should work together. But if not, you understand it because step one was a success. Step two, go work with whoever you want. Because I think we still believe we can give all the secrets and the tips away that we've worked with or that we implement. Mm-hmm. Most people won't do them. Yeah. They won't do them. They'll hear it and they'll say like, oh, yeah, it's so true. But then they'll never do anything with it. What they really need is they need to hire you to That's help right. walk them down this path. Yeah. And it's your responsibility as a business owner to make sure that you remove the obstacles in their way that would keep them from walking down that path. And one of those things would be self-consciousness about selling something. Yes. You you do have to get past that. Do you have something that the person legitimately needs? Yeah. Like, and and we're confident. We even wrote this in our book. Like, we're not talking about selling the video game Grand Theft Auto, where they glorify raping people and, and killing cops. Like, That's right. I would say shame on those guys. And go, I'll go right on the record. Shame on you for creating a game like that that's ruining young kids. But when you truly have something that you know meets a need in somebody, then you've got to make sure that you present all opportunities for them to buy that from you. And and we think about Jesus at 29 years old. What do you think he was doing? Well, we know he was a carpenter and he was working in a blue collar trade, but he also worked in a family business. I don't know if Joseph started, if he started, who knows if he started it, but chances are good they had to go out and bid jobs. And he probably bid against some people. 
And we just don't think of Jesus that way. And then when he won the job, he actually collected a, a paycheck, you know, whatever they, however they paid back then. And so Jesus was someone who was in this same line of work. And ha, just just look at how he sold, though. You know, somebody comes up to him and says, hey, I, I want this eternal life thing. And he's like, well, you know, birds have nests and foxes have dens, but I got nowhere to lay my head. Like he's immediately letting them know, whatever you're going to buy for me is going to be difficult for you but I'm not going to pull any punches. I'm just letting you know exactly what it is. I want you to experience eternal life. And But you need to know that eternal life is who you're looking at right now. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he removes the obstacles. And then what happens? Well, I would say three-quarters of the people turn and walk away, but then a quarter of them, you know, it's always a remnant, they buy in, and they buy in big. And Jesus shows us how to do this by the and transference of passion. I'll say something else about Christ and the relational aspect of sales. If he were a villainous salesman or a manipulative salesman or whatever, like sales often gets labeled onto people and people can be that way as well. He would have never had a successful ministry in his own hometown and in those surrounding cities because there would have been so much baggage. That's right. People would have been like, what, who, what, who are you? Why are you out here teaching us, man? You, you didn't even fix my porch right, you know, or you collected too much money or you never got back to me. Your communication was poor. But he didn't have any of that baggage, none, none whatsoever. And we know in four gospels about his life from four different perspectives. And so, um, you know, he's very relational. Okay, let's close with this. Worst mistake that you personally make when you're trying to sell in a product or a service? It can be from past experience or it can be, nope, I can tell you right now, it's the one thing I have to avoid all the time because I'm subject to it. If I'm not careful, I'll slip right into that. Yeah, me is not deliberately eliminating details, but not giving all of the details and over-promising. Like I get too excited about it. I'm like, yeah, we can do this, we can do this. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, wait, hold on a second. And then here's Jason over here, the total different Enneagram than me. And he's like, how do you think we're going to execute on that? And I'm like, I don't know. We'll just figure it out. And he's like, yeah, who's going to figure that out? Okay. So let's talk about this a little bit because I do. (laughs) Same thing has happened to me plenty of times. I've been guilty of it. You get into a conversation. You're not trying to omit anything. You're not trying to be nefarious or anything in the conversation. You're just saying, I'm just pumped up. I'm trying to transfer all of this passion to you and I'm not doing a good job of it, but I'm just giving you everything I've got. And you end up leaving stuff out. So Jason gets into the mix and he says, David, you can't say that. Yeah. If you well, say that, I'm going to have to go clean that up. What uh-huh. keeps me in check is the proverb. I don't know, have the reference off the top of my head, but it's, it is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. Great. Just too zealous, too, you know, hasty with my, you know, speaking. And so I have to pull back a little bit, which I've been able to do here in the last, you know, decade. I've really got it dialed in, but man, it was so hard okay, so, early in business. So talk about that. What's the pullback like without losing who you are? Because you you are yeah. a passionate person. Mm-hmm. So how do you get that? How do you temper that and get well, it, it under control? It started like this and it's almost like even in my relationship with like with my wife and it's funny because sales and how does how is like selling or at least my problems in sales at times and my marriage, how do they relate? Well, with sales, it used to be when I was more immature and like super excited and overzealous, it would take me a day or two to get convicted or a day or two to realize, oh, crud, you know what? It, it, that's not entirely the, the whole picture, so I'd have to call back and feel like an idiot. And I'd roll through that for several years and finally start dialing it in to where it became, instead of it took a couple of days, now it's like, okay, within a few hours after that sales call, now all of a sudden I'm getting it right. And then a few years later, it became a few minutes. And then it became like, while I'm talking, I'm getting convicted so I can clean it up really quick. 
And then it just dialed in where I'm like, okay, well, Lord, I spend time with the Lord early in the morning. And God, I know where I am in my flesh for weaknesses, but I know where I am in my strength by your Spirit. So I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, to fill me and get out all my flesh and let me be strong. It's the same way in my marriage, you know, like you get into an argument and it takes you a week to make it right. And then after two or three years of marriage, now it takes a day to get it right. And then 10 years down the road, it takes at least an hour to get it right. And now it's like, we're making it right on the spot. We're not going to go a minute without making it right. That's good. I love that. Jason, something you could sell all day without any hassle, without any uh, hesitation. Something that I could sell all day. I I honestly believe what we're doing to help kingdom-minded entrepreneurs at Expert Ownership you know, with our community, just because I know that we're touching them every week, we're in that community and we're passionate about it, all three of us, along with our other team members and, and helping people thrive in business. And especially with seeing the, the crazy stuff that's happened with cancel culture and how yeah. people are losing their jobs and people are scared about what they're going to do financially. I mean, we believe that we have answers yeah. for that. When we Let's got put- fired by HGTV, we had bulletproof businesses in place. They were secret. Nobody knew about them. And I want to help other people build those same things, like so that when, so that their income can be cancel proof. That's right. Yes. Okay. Let's do, let's make a commitment right now. Next episode, we're talking about that. Okay. Let's talk bulletproof business. Next episode. Got it. On that note, let's wrap with own it or loan it. Okay. Own it or loan it. If you're new here, own you, it. You want to keep it. You like it. You want more of it. Loan it is nope. Don't care for it. Not interested. I'd like to loan that out and hope you never bring it back. All right. Re- regift. Own it or loan it. Alabama football. Oh. Oh gosh. Loan it. Are you kidding? Loan it. What? It's the greatest college football team of all time. No, but loan it. It's so boring. Alabama football is boring to watch. Kick six. They destroy everybody. No, that was Auburn, moron. Yeah, I know, but still, it was an Alabama football game. (laughs) That is the dumbest. That right there. He got got pinned against the wall. That's how slippery Jason is. This is Jason. I own it, and I like Alabama football. I do. It's just not even fun. I'm not saying it's the greatest show on turf. No, but listen, listen. Alabama, if they could play, who's the worst team in the NFL? Dolphins. Yeah. No, Jaguars. Jaguars. Oh, man, they got Trevor Lawrence. As of the recording of this, the Jaguars, 18 losses in a row. Okay. Ooh, wow, they're horrible. I'd love to see Alabama play Jacksonville. Now I would be an Alabama fan. There's no chance, this is, again, a future episode, that the best college team would ever beat an NFL team. No chance. You think yeah. this is up for debate? No, I don't. I don't it really. can't happen. I don't. No but chance. I would still love to see them. I, I like Alabama football if they get pummeled. Just I love Saban walking off the field. He's red-faced. He's mad. He's shaking his head. He's blaming everybody but himself. No, he does blame himself, too. He's a pretty good leader. But still, I just love it. And he's short. Hey, it, <laughs> you know, he stood up next to Sandra Bullock in the blind side. And I'm like, dude, he's so hey, short. David is way overplayed this. Hey. I think the own it or loan it is done. It is No, it's done. not. No, you it's not. It it's just Alabama football is terrible. David loaned it. Jason <laughs> owned it. And on that note, we'll catch up with you next time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And you know, like we end every single episode, always want to encourage you to prioritize impact over income. But it's all right to have both. Just get the order right. See you next time. See you next time.